I'm Linda von Tolberg for Business, and with me is Vainan Klaassens. He probably needs no introduction, but he's a former Springbok captain, former captain of Natal, and he was the youngest ever national Springbok selector. But after retiring from rugby, he remained actively involved in coaching, and he served as a selector and manager, and he was also very involved at the University of Pretoria. And for the rest of the time, he's a well-known architect based in Pretoria. Why, Vainan, does that do justice to you? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, uh, you know, Linda, no, it's, it's a mouthful, but there's so many things that I've done in my life. So anyway, that is fine. Yes, well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, can we first of all discuss that last-minute effort to ensure that the box and Proteus can play under the South African flag, which seems that we didn't update the drug-free sport code to comply with the latest world anti-doping code. What do you make of all of that? Yeah, well, it's pretty uh, certain now, again, that there's somebody has done their work. The Department of Culture and Sport has been warned about them a year ago, September last year, that they got to get their house in order and uh, nothing has been done. So it's the old, old story of somebody not doing doing their work. And I mean, I was just in the car now on the radio, on the news, he said that the Minister of Sport I said they're going to appeal to this thing. I mean, I can't understand it. I mean, they've got a couple of days, and now they would rather try and you know, get something in, at least get submit something, and then if it's not um, right, then they can refer it back. But for more than a year, whatever, they've done nothing. Now they want to appeal. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, it really, that's annoying. I mean, and for the Springboks and the Proteas, both are playing in World Cups, the Springboks are the reigning world champions. Proteas, they've started off well, but obviously in the past they haven't done that well in the, in the, in the World Cups and cricket. But still, I mean, if you play in a foreign land, foreign country for your country, and you stand there and you see the national anthem, and there's a lot of supporters always there uh, waving the flags and singing uh, all together, I mean, all of a sudden now you're standing there and... Uh, I mean, that that's a big thing for motivation as well, to hear your anthem and see the people with the flags and the green and gold and all that kind of thing. So I think it's really, it's, it's not sad, actually. It's, it's actually annoying, you know, that they could really, you know, go that far and you know, don't do the work that you're supposed to do. Well, you talked about the importance of wearing that green and gold rugby jersey and the flag, and all the supporters are wearing green and gold. I was at one of the matches in France. They were all wearing it. And then there's always also this kit issue. So the Springboks not only now have the flag, they also sometimes wear this other kit. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think they world rugby and uh, is a rugby. Uh, sorry, they to blame for this. I mean, the Springbok uh, colors has been going since 1906. I mean, it's 117 years. And they, just because of a sponsor paying a hell of a lot of money, they decided that they're going to play in this bubblegum uh, toothpaste kind of jerseys. That's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And I can't understand that, uh, that is a rugby allowed that. World Rugby said that it's, it's got to do with uh, people uh, that's colorblind. Uh, that you must have a contrast. I mean, that I agree with. But uh, the Springboks alternative jersey, as the All Blacks, whatever, is white. With the Springbok emblem and with the green and gold, uh, you know, collar, uh, the Springbok emblem there and the black trousers. That's always been, since 1906, that's been alternative 
an alternative kit when you play against the people, uh, you know, in a green jersey. So wh- why they allowed this, I mean, uh, SA Rugby's got to be blamed. Uh, that you sell your whole right and your history for, uh, you know, six pennies of gold, whatever. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. I would never see that the All Blacks would agree to that. That they would play in such, they would play an alternative shirt. My also they played in white before, like the Springboks, but it's a clear white and it's uh, nice and clean. Not this uh, chappy type of jersey. It's really it's shocking. And I mean, I can't understand that more ex Springboks and the public don't stand up against us. You know, they uh, is our rugby is got to be taken to task as is world rugby. You've made your views on the kit well-known in a letter that you wrote with Tommy Bedford, also a former Springbok captain, to the um, World Rugby Board. You've also mentioned a couple of other things that you are not happy with. What do you think is going wrong with the way that rugby is now being ruled? Well, I think uh, World Rugby and the the guys sitting in in the offices and drinking their gin and tonics and the guys on the board, they got too much power. They rule rugby. If you just look at the, the rules, there are thousands of rules for rugby. The refereeing is shocking. The rules, uh, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I really, the poor players, the poor spectators, you know, rugby, I mean, I know it's a professional sport now and it's good. It must be a professional sport. Everybody's got to earn money. Uh, it's such a high profile sport in the world, obviously. But you know, the, it seems as though sometimes that the guys in power, or the guys in the committees, they're still amateurs. It's a professional game run by amateurs, and um, and, and they got all the say. That's a problem. Uh, the rugby should be run by ex-players, and it's also professionals. Guys that understand the game. You know, the, the rule changes. They should uh, discuss it with coaches worldwide, with captains, with players. With the public, the knowledge, non-knowledgeable people, you can't just have all these millions of rules. And the referees, I mean, I I feel sorry for them. They sometimes don't know. I mean, immediately they got to make a call on something that happens on the field, considering all the all the many rules that they could apply. So, I think unfortunately, rugby, you know, uh, there's always been a fantastic team sport, a spectacle. Uh, running rugby, scrum lineouts, but uh, now it's been it's stop start. The scrums sometimes can't get going, you know, because of rapid interfering, penalties or short arm penalties from scrums that the games could, couldn't get uh, get you know on the go. I mean, if you look at the thing like either the lineout seasons, if the lineout throw is a fraction of of an inch, not straight, it's a turnover. You get a scrum, but they allow in scrums. They put the ball, the scrum is allowed to put the ball under the feet of the lock. I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? It's crazy. And that's a problem, uh, you know, rugby needs a t- total overall worldwide. they got to grow the game. A lot of people, are, I mean, I've got a lot of friends, they, they don't even switch on the television anymore. There's too much kicking. There's too much rev interfering. Now it's a, the TV rev. A stop and start. Too much kicking. And it's all that kind of thing. So, they're driving people away from the game. Uh, the young guys, don't, they don't want to play the game anymore. So uh, that's the thing that world rugby must realize. I mean, they can't just sit there 
in the grass chairs and uh, watching the games in the committee rooms. They got to look at the game holistically and uh, assure that they change rules, make less rules, and uh, let everybody buy in. But yeah, they got to talk to all the people involved that's knowledgeable, ex-players, coaches, referees. So uh, that's a problem. That's That's a lot of things. You also mentioned in your letter the excessive amounts of red cards and yellow cards. But don't you think that because the prayers are now so heavy that you need those rules to make sure that you don't get head injuries or other injuries? Because if you look at the moment, you know, so many people are injured. Yeah, no, that's true. But uh, because of the game is very contact, I mean, uh, there is a lot of head clashes. But a lot of those things uh, that happen... if you look at the, the video, it's unfortunate. It's it, a lot of those things are accidents, where a guy come in to tackle around, say the chest or or the stomach, then the player carrying the ball is ducking. You know, he's, he's going to get out of the tackle, and then you get a head clash. So then the, the tackler gets a red card, and I mean it's very unfortunate. I mean I know the players must be protected against these kind of injuries, but sometimes it's really not. It's in, in the game. It's not. Uh, deliberate. He didn't go out to high tackle and hit the guy with the head. It's a question of the body position. He was, say, under under the, the chest and then this other guy dipping. That, unfortunately, things happen. And then that's where the ref and the TV refs should be also knowledgeable and say, but, okay, this was an accident. Let the game carry on. Uh, but I, un- I understand and I agree that uh, the people's safety and players' safety is very important. So uh, foul play it should be go out of the game. So so that's, that's quite important. But um, I also think that there are too many stop stars like uh, short-arm penalties. The rucks and the malls, I mean, you can, on every ruck and mall, you can give a penalty. And uh, it's a free-for-all. And they should actually maybe make a rule that uh, people or players are only allowed to tackle around the waist or the legs. Nothing, no, nothing higher. You know, but uh, but then again, uh, you know, then the people, the players will know how to tackle lower. Then it, there'll be less uh, head clashes, I suppose. You know, so but anyway, they got to look after the game to make it more more safe to players and also more a spectacle to uh, the players and to the spectators and the followers. So, when you write an open letter like that, do you get a reply at all from them? We got a reply uh, saying uh, that the one sentence. Back, they'll discuss it, they'll come back to us. It's now a month, more than a month ago. We haven't heard anything. Tommy Bedford, my mate in crime, yeah, he, he wrote him an email this morning just inquiring what happened. You know, we haven't heard anything. So, but other than replying, saying they've received it and they'll discuss it, we haven't heard anything. And the World Cup is halfway, half done. Do you think players like you, ex-players, have a voice when it comes to these issues or new rules, or, or don't you get asked, how, you know, what do you th- feel about it? No, we don't get asked, but I think we have, we've got a right. A lot of these uh, administrators, so-called administrators, has never played rugby at, at a higher level, but they came through the ranks because it is a prestigious type of job. And uh, they fly to all of the main games. They're sitting in the main pavilion and they drink their gin and tonics. And uh, so, uh, you know, ex-players, I'm getting annoyed that there are so few ex-players that played the game 
especially in the professional era, that they don't stand up and be, be heard. Every voice is important, but a lot of them are involved in rugby, maybe TV commentating, they don't want to step on toes, they don't want to lose their jobs, and all that kind of thing. So everybody is cautious, but you know, nobody, very few guys are standing up. I just can't understand it. More and more ex-players, sometimes they're referred to as, yeah, we're a lot of old players, we a lot of amateurs. We played in the amateur era. But, I mean, the thing is, uh, I was involved in the professional era as well as a manager and as a selector for a long time. So, you move on with times. But uh, the basics of the game still remains the same. You know, the rules change, but the basic and that thing about rugby remains the same. That's where ex-players can give a, a, a huge, play a huge role to try and get uh, everything in place, you know, the rules and the uh, the way the, the games has been going and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's annoying. I mean, I can't understand why players are not prepared to stand up. The other issue that you've been involved in and that you've spoken up about is to prevent Newlands Rugby Stadium in Cape Town from being sold. Um, you applied to get the stadium declared a heritage site. What is the latest development there? Well, we've appealed to the Minister of the Western Cape. Uh, they haven't uh, turned it down, but uh, this is not the end of the road. The thing is, it's it, uh, there again. I mean, the history and the heritage of rugby, for instance. I mean, Newlands, the first game was they played in 1890. So you're talking about this 132, 133 years ago. And I mean, all the. Uh, and now the, the big argument that they've got, uh, the Western Province Rugby Union, is a rugby is that the buildings are not so old, is, you know, but it's got nothing to do with the buildings. It's got to do about the environment, the field, where, where all those events took place, you know, uh, you know fantastic uh, heritage moments over 130 years, uh, you know, Mon- uh, Nelson Mandela that uh, opened the World Cup in 1995 when the whole crowd stood up and just chanted uh, Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. Uh, I mean, that is historical moments of the place. And I can't understand that. I just want to let it go. I mean, the, the, it's a prime site. It's a prime uh, uh, stadium, you know, the oldest in the world. And all the test matches have been played. I mean, if you just read about what ex-players like Willie John McBride and you name it, and Sean Fitzpatrick, everybody talked about uh, what Newlands was to them. I mean... So there's a lot of heritage and history uh, on that place. And it's not, they think we want to make it a museum. I mean, you can't make it a museum. We'll keep it as a rugby playing field, uh, reduce the capacity. But uh, apart from that, you do arts and crafts, there's shops, you know, all sort of things, uh, music, you know, wine tasting. You, might, you change it into a, you know, kind of uh, in brackets, you know, a museum, uh, I mean, a daily museum, actually a tourist attraction like the Cape Waterfront uh, where people go there every day. They can be a hotel, they can be uh, supermarkets, they can be a lot of things, you know. So you can make it a, a viable proposition and this can still play rugby there, although Western Province and the Stormers have left. But there's a lot of other rugby, club rugby and things like that, tournaments you can play there. But all around Newlands, the heritage of Newlands. And I, I believe that uh, Newlands is not... It's not actually a provincial uh, heritage site. It's actually a national heritage site and in a way it's a world heritage site. You know, uh, if you look at the history of, of things that took place there over 130 years. 
So yes, we're involved in that, you know. And uh, the the problem is, uh, Western Province Rugby Union has been bankrupt since 2016. Now they want to flog new ones just to get out of trouble. They want to flog their prime heritage place that they've got. So I, it is very sad. And I, once again, somebody has got to got to stand up for it. You know, you can't just let it go. I mean, I got I got uh, I we had on a public participation. We had uh, both by far the majority of uh, people supporting us. I had uh, some bad criticism from previous Springboks. Say, what am I doing here? I'm going to make Western Province bankrupt. But not one of them are standing up for their heritage. And that's, again, you know, I can't understand that. Somebody's got to stand up for if things go wrong. We can't just accept everything in the world, you know. So uh, I feel very strongly about that. Are you prepared to go to court if you don't succeed with the minister? Yeah, we keep our options open. There's still a lot of water that can go under the bridge. Bernard Larson, so lovely speaking to you and hope you're successful. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Pleasure. Thank you for uh, allowing me on the, on the show. <laughs>